Hey guys, it's Kelly, and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken Podcast. I've done a lot of self-reflection over the past few weeks, and with that came recording a lot of episodes that when I went to listen to them before I published, they just didn't feel right. And I had to figure out where that was coming from. I've never felt that I had to hold back and I've never felt this pressure that all of a sudden is just like consuming me but it's happening recently and I needed to kind of dig deep and figure out where that came from so the biggest thing I think is obviously the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. It's taken a huge toll on me. I've suffered in silence and I didn't realize that that was triggering the pressure and I don't know if it's exactly depression but it was definitely a lack of motivation in doing anything. I mean, I've been a terrible friend and barely have called any of my friends. I've had people that reach out to me and I just kind of one-word answer them because I just don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just at a point where I feel like there's a why in the road. And I can go one direction or the other and I'm just not quite sure which one I want to go down. So, I thought about it, and I tried to do, like, a pros and cons type of thing, but then I just realized, like, that why isn't real. I don't have to go one way or the other. I can just go straight. It's my road to survival. It's my recovery journey or the many other things that I've called it, so... Why did I think that there was a why? Why did I think that I had to make the choice on which road to take? So that's what I've been reflecting on. And I had a disagreement with my husband. And when we sat down to kind of talk about it after like the dust settled and we were calm... You know, it's difficult for him because, like I've said many times, he didn't ask to marry a sex trafficking survivor. At the time that we got married, I actually did not know that that was the term of what I had survived. And prior to marrying him, I couch surfed. I was homeless for a very long time. Um... We got married a month after my three-year anniversary of my escape. So, I didn't think when we got married that it was going to continue. I thought that that was going to be it. You know, I've moved on. I've created this new life. Everything's going to be better until it wasn't. And he didn't ask for that. So, as a family, we have moved quite a bit. 
We've moved across the country and back more times than I can even think about. We've moved north, we've moved south, we've moved east, west. I mean, we've just been all over. And it's neat to travel and see this beautiful country that we live in. Um, being in so many different states and things like that, but he doesn't have friends right now. And he's never been that type. He has autism, so they don't really have a whole lot of friends. And he doesn't get to do much. He goes to work, and because of my MS being in the stage that it is, I can't really do a lot of housework, so he has to help with that. And this argument or disagreement that we had, it kind of stemmed from that. I was feeling neglected and not appreciated for the things that I was doing, and he felt the same way. We had to kind of reach a middle ground to figure out how we can both feel appreciated at the same time when our roles in the family are very different and obviously he does a lot more physical things than I do but I handle phone calls pay the bills and things like that so I mean I, I do contribute but when we were talking he said that he feels like his life is never going to be anything other than he goes to work comes home does what needs to be done, goes to sleep, rinse, wash, and repeat. And he never really gets to do things that he wants. I want to give that to him. I really do. I want him to be able to have hobbies and to do the things that he loves. He wants to build like a workshop in our garage. And I'm sure I could find a lot of things that I would love for him to build. He built me an amazing tank stand for one of my turtles tanks. And it's just hard because I look at the future and I look at it like it's not really feasible right now because we live in an apartment and he's already stretched so thin that you know I don't think he's gonna have time so I just think maybe creating this workshop that he wants which is gonna be expensive we could just do better things with that money and he agrees it's that wasn't what the point was about the money it was just he didn't have anything in his life that he feels like he does because he wants and I said to him, and it wasn't to like one-up him, it was just to kind of, I think, level with him. And I said, you know, what do I have that I do? And I didn't expect the response that he gave me. I expected a typical, oh no, and I was ready with my response that watching eight seasons of Vampire Diaries in less than two weeks is not on my to-do list. 
I just make the best of it. And I was going to kind of go down that with him. Well, his response was, you have your podcast. And I didn't realize the weight that the podcast was or even the weight of my question to him, like, what do I have? Because he is right. I said to him I wanted to start a podcast and we went out the next day and got me the computer that I needed to do it. Got the microphone, the headphones. Eventually, when I realized I needed a better computer, I got that too, which I'm on right now and I love. But I said in this conversation, the podcast is something that I have. But I relive my trauma every episode. When I share my story, when I try to spread awareness, that's me reliving my trauma. And I do it for a purpose, but that doesn't mean that it still doesn't have weight with it. And I said that to him, like, so you're going to tell me the one thing I have is reliving a trauma every single day because my mind is constantly going about what I'm going to go and talk about in the next episode, writing down ideas and topics and things. It, it's a lot of work, honestly, a lot more work than I thought it was going to be when I started nearly a year ago, but it got me thinking and that i think is where this imaginary why in the road got created because i never thought of it that way until the words left my mouth and i meant them i absolutely meant them but i never really thought about the pressure that it like i put myself under and i never thought about the toll that it takes on me and my mental health and most importantly, the toll it takes on my family. Of course, I wish that I wouldn't be sitting here in the middle of the night recording this. I wish I could do it during the day, but it's very loud in this house. <laughs> ah, gotta love my son. And I wish I could do a lot of different things. I mean, I see some podcasters that have these beautiful videos and it's just a lot of work and I'm doing this all by myself and I tried the guest thing but I don't know it's it's not working out the best I enjoyed the guests that I have and I have a couple more lined up they're just probably going to be a little while and um, Patty's going to be coming back I'm really excited about that she was awesome and I hated cutting her off in the episode that I did but we got to an hour I needed to so that's exciting but I felt like I needed to do something and it was just this weight on my shoulder this pressure and I didn't know if I should go back to scripting out my episodes because I mean life was a little bit easier especially when it came to recording I didn't know if I should go back to sharing personal details like I did in the first season, but then I felt like I was getting kind of repetitive and it was 
it was just so much. So I went on TikTok and I passed a friend's video and read a comment that said, and it was talking about Ghislaine Maxwell. And it said, has anyone else noticed that the woman was the one that took the fall? It infuriated me. It got me so upset. It's like, do you not remember that Jeffrey Epstein was arrested? He just didn't make it to court. So I wouldn't exactly say that, but I commented and said something to the effect that this isn't just about a woman taking a fall. It's about a woman that did very horrible things to children. And in my experience, she was the worst client out of anyone that I can remember. And I got attacked. Of course, I got attacked. I don't know why somebody that read an article felt the need to argue with a survivor but hey people can do what they want and this person just kept reiterating her job was to lure children and i'm just like her job i mean this isn't a corporation what are you talking about and i've never said a lot of things publicly about galena and epstein and I realized maybe that's the pressure because I've talked about it before. Everyone wants names and they're demanding names. And this person that got into an argument with me until I finally decided to just block her and move on because she wasn't worth the energy. She had this unrealistic idea of what sex trafficking was and she basically just had what the media told her because she kept on saying this is what came out in the trial and I finally just got so frustrated and was like I was sex trafficked to that ring and you're really gonna sit here and tell me that you know more than me because you read an article and that's when I finally blocked her and was just like, I, I can't. So, the imaginary why got created. Do I continue to try to spread awareness and be vague and keep secrets and suffer in silence? Or do I become more open? And... That's the self-reflection. That's the things that I was thinking about. Because these eight names that everyone are demanding get unsealed. I ask, why do you feel that you deserve to know those names? And this is why. It is a possibility that those names are my parents. Epstein is my cousin, not like my first cousin, but, you know, I found that out when I got my DNA done, and I found out that there was quite a few big-time names that 
I'm related to. I don't know if it is through the trafficking. I strongly suspect that because it's literally the only thing that makes sense. But what happens if I say these prominent families, one of which is a world leader that I'm related to, what if I say their names? How is that going to help anything? And it's like I've said before, it's going to take it and turn it about them. And it won't be about my story anymore. And it won't be about me. But if my parents' names are in that sealed document and they're released, then what happens? Then I'm outed on a level that I am not ready to be on. And the town that my daughters live in is a town that I grew up in, which is one of those everybody knows everybody, so everyone will know that they are my parents, and they all know those are my daughters. So are they going to get bullied in school? Are they going to be attacked? I mean, what's going to happen to them? So when I say, why do you feel you need to hear these names or deserve to, that's where I come from. And I realized this is the exact reason I started my podcast and started sharing my story. I wanted to put a human face, a human voice to sex trafficking. So that way people realized we're not just a statistic. We're not some crazed conspiracy theory we're living breathing humans and we have families and even the horrible buyers and the horrible traffickers they've got families too and they may be innocent in all of this but they still have to live with it and i I just don't know. I feel like people want to know for a selfish reason. And I hate using that word selfish because it carries a very negative connotation. But what I mean is, is it's an internal reason for themselves. So they want to know, okay, was Tom Hanks a client? Because then they'll never watch one of his movies. They won't support him feel like they're doing something they'll want to know if it was I don't know Mitch McConnell because then they won't vote for him they'll demand that he be forced to resign they'll want to know if it's this person or that person if it's someone that they love and adore that they voted for that they agree with politically they'll deny it and fight over it i mean i got attacked on a video i duetted by trump supporters because his name got brought up in the trial i never said anything other than that and it was if you were involved with these people you deserve to go to jail and i mean i'm never going to back down from that that's always going to be my thoughts so where does that leave things for us survivors and us victims do we name names to satisfy people's curiosity 
Is that what's best? I made an episode in season one titled The Woman. At the time that I made that episode, I had no idea who this woman was. And it was a couple months back, somebody had asked about certain things about the trial. And that's when it clicked. So when, right around the time before I left, I, it was so weird. I went to dye my hair blonde and somehow the color tube got switched and I dyed my hair black, which I ended up actually liking and wore my hair like that until I recently started doing crazy colors. And I also was pressured to cutting my hair short. I mean, I've always had my hair short and I had seen a picture of Ghislaine Maxwell and I had sent that picture along with a picture of me to one of my friends and I was just like, how gross is that? We have the exact same haircut. It doesn't seem like anything, but I mean, the exact same haircut, that's creepy. And I'm not saying I'm related to her. I, I don't think I am. Um, but it just was creepy. And when I was scrolling down through Google Images, I saw a picture of her from the 90s. And I my heart stopped. And I was like, oh my God. I know this. I know her. I remember this face. It is permanently like burned into my brain. I remember her. And then things started clicking during the trial. And I believe they talked about the haircuts. I think that was why it got brought up with a friend. And then they talked about Radio City Musical in the Disney store. I was there. Not the Disney store, I'm sorry. The Lion King. I was there. I saw it premiere. It didn't realize that it was an exclusive event until I, I looked into it. And then I thought about all the access to super exclusive things that I had throughout my life and my childhood. I went into the secret adult club in the Magic Kingdom in Disney World in Florida. I'll detail that on another episode. But I got to view the Tinkerbell movie that they made years ago before it hit the public. I got to meet all the cast characters before they went out. My daughter's were able to get their um, their signatures, autographs, and we ate dinner, and I mean, it was this whole thing. But then I started thinking about when I was younger, and I went to New York a lot. I don't remember a whole lot. I don't even really remember who I was there with. See, I was told that it was my mother's dad that took me to New York all the time. 
I don't remember if it was him or not. And I, I can't just call and ask. He's passed away and attempts to reach out to his family have seriously failed. I'm not quite sure why. But it's not anything I'm not used to. But I remember my grampy. And he was a tall man, gray hair, and he always dressed really nice. And that's the person I remember taking me to New York. Now, I went to see Madame Butterfly, Bring In the Noise, Bring In the Funk, was a Broadway show. Went to see Swan Lake, ballets, operas, I mean, Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis so many things and I mean those good seats I was always told that my grandfather took me but it's like if you hear something enough when you're being gaslit and brainwashed and the psychological abuse you eventually believe it to be true so I sit down and I I look at pictures of Epstein and they have some of him like walking away and I'm just like that looks very similar to what I remember my grandfather looking like and I just can't help but wonder if all those trips to New York was actually with him I know that DNA connected us so I know he was definitely a part of my life what exact role that was I'm not sure there's other ways of the connection that I'm not really ready to talk about but during the trial there were so many other things that clicked and the eye contact see when I was with Glenn while Epstein did his thing I wasn't allowed to look at him she forced me to keep eye contact with her every single time that I can remember that's the thing I remember about it is that she forced me to watch her and I just assumed that it was her husband but obviously it wasn't and there were just thing after thing that came out that I was like my god and I think that's why the trial hit so hard and why I stopped talking about it because it was digging stuff up that had just been pushed down for so many years and then that's when I realized this why that pressure that I'm feeling it is to talk about details it's to talk about who and the names and everything but the reality is a lot of those people I don't know who they are I mean I was traumatized very severely I was trafficked multiple times a day to multiple people it's hard to kind of remember everyone but the most important thing is I was a child just a child so it's not like I knew anybody in Congress didn't know a lot of movie stars by name I mean not like I do now so there were so many factors that make it difficult and I, like I said, I, it didn't click that it was Glenn Maxwell until I saw a picture of her from that time. And the Epstein thing never would have crossed my mind if I hadn't done the DNA testing. So 
as hard as it is, yes, I was a victim of Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. And yes, because of them, there were connections made to more prominent people. And yes, I am related to a world leader that has been rumored to be involved with sex trafficking. Not a United States one. So, what do I do with that? I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't figured out how to talk about it. I haven't figured out if I want to. But I think the biggest step is to admit that, yes, that episode titled The Woman is Ghislaine Maxwell, and the man in that episode is Jeffrey Epstein. That much I know to be true. She's going to go to prison, and a part of me is sad because it won't be for what she did to me. And I don't think that's ever going to be able to happen. And it's fine. I mean, obviously I'm used to it. But it'd be nice. I don't want to feel this pressure. I don't want all of this weight on my shoulders to share things that I'm not ready to share. And to talk about people that were clients that I'm just not ready to. I don't want to protect these people, obviously. But I do want to protect myself, my children, my family, and my mental health. And I think people need to start to look at it that way. Because, yes, knowing the buyers will get rid of the demand. But it's not going to be the only step to ending sex trafficking. People need to listen and they need to be aware of the signs so they can spot it, so we can help victims and then we can get their sex traffickers. Right now, the survivor world is such a toxic place because people have created that with the conspiracy theories and the screaming into the camera we want names and all of this stuff you've just created such a toxic environment and i know nobody means for that but it's what's happening we have to create a safe space so victims want to come forward so they feel comfortable coming forward I have been sharing my story for over two years now and I still feel like I might not publish this episode because I've exposed myself more than I ever have in anything else and I'm scared and I'm terrified. I don't know what backlash is going to come from it. I don't know if People are going to contact me with questions, and it's hard. If we want to end sex trafficking, going after the sex traffickers is going to be one of the biggest things to stop it, and one of the hardest. But the most important thing is the supportive community for survivors. So they don't feel that pressure to come forward. 
I know two survivors that are off of Twitter because of the constant attacks that they had against them. And they were strong, powerful, wonderful women. And they're just gone. They never want to share again. They don't want to talk about it. And I get it because I was there just a few weeks ago. That's why I haven't really posted anything. How do you expect to end sex trafficking and to even stop it if you're not really supporting the victims and the survivors? And I can't speak for all of them, but I know that I am absolutely terrified for those names to be unsealed because like I said, if it is my parents' names in there, which I don't know if it is or not, that is going to be very big for me. And I'm going to suffer a lot. And I won't have any control. And I spent the majority of my life not having control. I think I've earned to have that. So just think about that. The next time that you think to yourself or you watch a video and say, oh, I agree with that, that says we need names. Don't think about the names. Think about the victims. Think about the survivors and how it's going to affect them. Because in the end, that's the most important part. And that's who all or who we all should be thinking about. I think suffering in silence has happened for way too long for me. Not quite sure how I'm going to remedy that, but I am done staying silent so other people can feel comfortable. I'm going to leave it there for you tonight. I want to thank you for all the continued love and support and for the patience because that means more than anything. It's not something I ever really experienced in my life. So, again, I just ask, just think about the victims and maybe we can figure out a way to make the survivor world a safer, more secure place because right now it's just too toxic. I hope y'all have a good night and a very amazing week and I'll talk with y'all soon.